happy. You know that. I'm glad you're pregnant. Let's celebrate. I'll get some champagne. You like being the big daddy, huh? I do. Don't know why exactly, I just do. You like screaming babies in the middle of the night. This too shall pass. Isn't that right, Janelle? Young lady, I'm talking to you. Maria turned her head away from the wailing baby and gave me a sweet kiss on the lips. Her mouth was soft, always inviting, always sexy. I loved her kisses, anytime, anywhere. She finally wriggled out of my arms. Go back to bed, Alex. No sense both of us being up. Get some sleep for me, too. Just then I noticed something else in the bedroom, and I started to laugh. Couldn't help myself. What's so funny? Maria smiled. I pointed, and she saw it, too. Three apples, each one with a single childlike bite out of it. The apples were propped on the legs of three stuffed toys, different colored Barney dinosaurs. Toddler Damon's fantasy play was revealed to us. Our little boy had been spending some time in his sister Janie's room. As I got to the doorway, Maria gave me that goofy smile of hers again, and a wink. She whispered, and I will never forget what she said. I love you, Alex. No one will ever love you the way I do. Chapter 2 Forty miles north of D.C., in Baltimore, two cocksure long-haired hitmen in their mid-to-late twenties ignored the members-only sign and sashayed into the St. Francis Social Club on South High Street, not far from the harbor. Both men were heavily armed and smiling like a couple of stand-up comedians. There were twenty-seven capos and soldiers in the clubroom that night, playing cards, drinking grappa and espresso, watching the bullets lose to the Knicks on TV. Suddenly the room was quiet and on edge. Nobody just walked into St. Francis of Assisi, especially not uninvited and armed. One of the intruders in the doorway, a man named Michael Sullivan, calmly saluted the group. This was some funny shit, Sullivan was thinking to himself, all these goomba tough guys sitting around chewing their cud. His companion, or compare, Jimmy Hatz Galati, glanced around the room from under the brim of a beat-up black fedora, like the one worn by Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley. The social club was pretty typical. Straight chairs, card tables, makeshift bar, guineas coming out of the woodwork. No welcoming committee for us? No brass bands? asked Sullivan, who lived for confrontation of any kind, verbal or physical. It had always been him and Jimmy Hatz against everybody else, ever since they were fifteen and ran away from their homes in Brooklyn. "'Who the hell are you?' asked a foot soldier who rose like steam from one of the rickety card tables. He was maybe six-two, with jet-black hair, and weighed two-twenty or so, obviously worked with weights. "'He's the Butcher of Sligo. You ever hear of him?' said Jimmy Hatz. "'We're from New York City.' Ever hear of New York City? Chapter 3 The buffed-up mob soldier didn't react, but an older man in a black suit and white shirt buttoned to the collar raised his hand like the Pope or something and spoke slowly and deliberately in heavily accented English. So what do we owe this honor? 
he asked. Of course we heard of the butcher. Why are you here in Baltimore? What can we do for you? We're just passing through, Michael Sullivan spoke to the old man. Have to do a little job for Mr. Maggioni in D.C. You gentlemen heard of Mr. Maggioni? Heads nodded around the room. The tenor of the conversation so far suggested that this was definitely serious business. Dominic Maggioni controlled the family in New York, which ran most of the East Coast, down as far as Atlanta anyway. Everybody in the room knew who Dominic Maggioni was, and that the butcher was his most ruthless hitman. Supposedly, he used butcher knives, scalpels, and mallets on his victims. A reporter in Newsday had said of one of his murders, No human being could have done this. The butcher was feared in mob circles and by the police. So it was a surprise to...